I had one call with this investment manager. It was kind of an hour call, and the guy was really grilling me hard, like he should be. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, by the way, you know, have you ever heard of strip mall guy? <laughs> and, and I was startled, but all I can think of doing is just saying, I am strip mall guy. And, it, 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 and the guy just... Good morning, and this is Deconstruct, a podcast from The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. It's Monday, February 26th, and today we're airing an interview with Strip Mall Guy. He's the real person behind the Twitter-turned-ex-famous account, and his name is Don Tepman. So we sat down to chat about his big reveal and then also what he sees in the retail market going forward, strip malls specifically, as you could imagine. But first, the news. So Fannie Mae has decided it's not working with two large title insurers, Riverside Abstract and Madison Title. Senior reporter Keith Larson scored a memo from the agency last week, which said, quote, Fannie Mae will not accept delivery of any mortgage loan closed using Madison or Riverside in any capacity. So we know this has been brewing for a couple of weeks now. Can you tell us, you know, what it stems from? Yeah. According to the memo, Riverside and Madison were involved in real estate closings that the Department of Justice has deemed fraudulent. The closings were done by Baruch Drillman, who allegedly bought properties and then faked documents to show that he paid more than he actually did. And in doing so, he then scored larger loans from lenders. Mm. So the DOJ has not charged Riverside or Madison with any wrongdoing, but I think Fannie Mae wants, you know, to be out of it altogether. Doing business with Fannie Mae is crucial for lenders and title companies. Fannie and Freddie Mac buy multifamily and residential loans from lenders. If a lender can't sell off a loan to either, they'll have to keep it on their balance sheet. So it prevents them from getting out there and making new loans. Right. So we don't know how long the Fannie Mae memo will be in effect, but it does force buyers to rethink who their title insurers will be, and it'll force lenders to rethink who they work with. And in big New York news, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to review New York State's rent stabilization law, shutting down two separate petitions that challenged the 2019 legislation. But the decision did say that the high court could hear a case in the future if landlords made their case more specific. Can you tell us what the cases claimed? Sure. So one of the cases was over a 10-unit building in Long Island City. The owners argued that the 2019 law transfers property rights to tenants. So the landlords that brought the suit alleged the value of their building dropped up to 40% because of the 2019 rent law. This is something we know is happening. And they picked a fight over the fact that tenants have to be offered renewals. The landlord said that the law, quote, strips owners of their right to exclude others from their property and prevents them from living in their own apartments. And then the second case was brought by a group of landlords who alleged owners of rent-stabilized units were forced to rent apartments at a rate that prevents them from seeing a, quote, just and reasonable return. They alleged that they couldn't recoup expenses. So Justice Clarence Thomas said the petitioner's cases contained generalized allegations and I also want to note there was a previous suit filed by CHIP and RSA, which are two prominent landlord groups that also took the rent law to task. It was trying to get before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court declined to hear it. Um, But in the four years leading up to that, you know, tenants advocates, tenants attorneys, they touched on the fact that it was a really generalized approach to um, trying to get the Supreme Court to even hear a case on the law. 
But Thomas said that if a future case challenges the question of whether New York City's regulations prevent landlords from evicting tenants for specific reasons, then the high court should review it. And one last piece of news, an oceanfront property in Southampton sold for $112 million, one of the most expensive deals in the Hamptons over the last, I think, 10 years. Marsha Rickless, a former advertising executive, listed the home for sale at $175 million, but dropped her price to $135 million earlier this year. So definitely some aspirational pricing there, but it's still sold at a huge, huge price tag. Just another example of luxury deals that continue to close. Yeah, if you still have cash and are not dependent on mortgage rates. All right, let's get into our chat with Strip Mall Guy, a.k.a. Don Tepman. So when we were talking offline just now, you said revealing yourself on X, who you are, was a relief. So talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's been two and a half years of every day waking up in the morning, not knowing if, hey, you know, will someone like reveal it? What will that look like for me? And kind of worried about like, who knows, who doesn't? It's just been, it's been a struggle, like keeping this kind of secret for, for so long, mm-hmm. not knowing what's going to happen once, once it gets out there. It was definitely a little bit nerve wracking, but mm-hmm. uh, it's actually been great. Yeah, I could imagine that one of the fears about remaining not anonymous anymore is that when you're speaking candidly on Twitter now X, it's like you could be worried about pushback from your followers or maybe like your firm were either of those on your mind at all? I guess not really. I mean, because, you know, starting from, from day one, you know, every every tweet has been sort of like an email, like don't email something that you don't want the world to ever see your text. So, right. you know, it's it is a professional account since day one. Right. I'm a GP of a fund. So you kind of have to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I could be kind of more loose about things and I guess more more fun and open, but like nothing where I'm like, oh, I'm going to offend this person. That's, you know, that really wasn't the goal since uh, day one. So what pushed you to step out from, from behind your profile picture as a cartoon character? Yeah. Which is how I think of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, ultimately, I'm a GP of a real estate fund first. I've been mm-hmm. doing this for 21 plus years now. And so what matters most is buying deals, executing for our investors, right? And I realized at some point that this app is an incredible tool for deal flow and to make me a better GP and ultimately what's going to add value to our LPs is what matters most because if strip mall guy isn't buying strip malls or overpaying for deals, it all kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what flipped was speaking to a broker six months ago, whatever it was in Philadelphia and realizing that he'd heard of the brand. So it gave him comfort. And once he closed the loop of saying, okay, it's Don, it's Town Center Capital, deal flow started coming in from him, mm. right? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, have I kind of hacked or, or unlocked the ability to be top of mind for brokers nationally, which I never thought was possible ever being, you know, all those years in the Bay Area where, you know, it was kind of one market. And so mm. um, it really became an issue of what's going to be best for our investors and our company. Right. So your posts can be quite candid. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about the Karate Studio yeah. one. Can People you love that one. Remind yeah. us about that one. Well, you know, so I, I, I joke, you know, a bit, and it's it, look, everything has a lesson behind it. So that one, I said that my least favorite tenants are karate tenants, which isn't 100 true, but you know, it is. <laughs> the lesson in that is tenants that don't put much money in the space. Mm-hmm who take up a lot of parking for a while uh, are negative. So I think that, you know, what was behind that was having readers, I guess, question, well, why is that his least favorite tenant? And so those questions came up, I answered them. So I think really 
you know, it's a lesson. I we have karate tenants. We like them. They're fine. It's just it's really about conveying a message. So has has more discretion gone into what you're posting, or like more editing since you went public? Really, not not really. I mean, I I've always kind of been mindful of who's out there and, and who's listening and, and who's reading. I think it's been a year and a half since folks have known who I am on limited scale of sure. course you know had my gala last year met you know 100 whatever followers and so i really kind of am careful about about that and you know got to stay professional so. mm-hmm. yeah do you get a lot of folks in your dms asking for advice all the time okay it's it's a i mean it's you know i, I kind of lose track of dms sometimes i mean it's it's random the ones i see versus not i mean it's it's just me reading those i don't let anyone else have access to them mm-hmm. so it's daily sometimes hourly sometimes 100 a day sometimes five a day but it's you know like there's thousands that are unread and i feel guilty about it and it's just it's just really no way of getting to all of them my email inbox is like that too, oh. just, so you can relate <laughs> yeah so it sounds like you were sort of dropping strip mall guy you said over the past year and a half kind of for deals i know well, you said six months in philly specifically yeah but, but you know probably about a year and a half ago i started just being more loose about it here mm-hmm. and there and you know ask people not to repeat it or, or whatever it is so you know and then um at my gala last year obviously that changed and you know, everyone met me in, in the room and and nothing bad happened right so to me that was kind of an experiment okay mm-hmm. you know i'll go out there put my name out there to a group of i think it was 200 people maybe actually and next day i woke up everything's the same it's all good you know yeah. i know more people now bigger network and it's sort of trickled the last year and a half two years mm-hmm. until a month ago so was there anything particular that you were worried about once you had the gala I think fear of the unknown, what happens if your face is out there, right? And for me, look, we have a four-year-old, live in Manhattan, walk around a lot, go to the park. I don't want to be stopped and recognized and kind of have to go out of that personal bubble. Sure. I want that privacy, and I think not having my name on the account is going to help with that as well still. Mm-hmm keeping the brand the way it is now. So yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I was just, it was more a fear of unknown than anything specific. To me, it's like having, you had a secret identity. It's very superhero-esque. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel that way about it ever? I mean, it, it's funny. I, so I had one call with this investment manager, you know, large billion dollar firm, probably a year ago or something. One of his clients wanted to invest and, you know, it was, it was kind of an hour call and the guy was really grilling me hard, like he should be. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, by the way, you know, have you ever heard of strip mall guy? <laughs> and and I was startled, but all I can think of doing is just saying, I am strip mall guy. And it, 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 and the guy just, you know, we both started laughing and he was shocked <laughs> and I was shocked. And I was like, well, what did I just say? That was kind of odd. So I was like, there is, you know, I, I do forget about that kind of double persona thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. nothing that I prepared or, or trained for, but it's funny when, when I meet folks and at the gala, one guy... I was talking to was Don, whatever. It was like, oh, is Strip Mall got here? You know, have you seen him? I'm like, it, it's, it's me. me. He's like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird dynamic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Okay, so let's talk about Strip Malls a little bit. You talked to my colleague Isabella Farr, who also yeah. does this podcast last May, I think it was, and you were discussing niche investing. And you don't do grocery anchor Correct. detail. You don't do malls. You don't do big box. So right. what do you think the benefits are of such a narrow focus? Look, 95% of these strip malls are not owned by institutions or large funds. They're all kind of local families. So there's an advantage there. Less sharks in the water, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone groups retail into one category, mall. And there's, there's, there's big box, grocery anchored, single tenant net. And so strip malls are those small service-oriented community strip centers. So I think that when you focus on a niche for 21 years, that's you know really an advantage, especially when 
almost all of these centers, I think 95% are owned by local families and not funds or institutions. Talk to us about what your ideal makeup of a strip mall would be. You want somewhere that's busy at lunch to mm -hmm. be with a restaurant that's busy at dinner. Parking is always key, right? Hair salon, nail salon, I love that combo. Never let one tenant do both. Like no one's ever good at both. Dentists are great. So, you know, it's gotta be service oriented. Coffee shops, it's, it's three, four, five, six tenants. So like really not a huge assortment. So as long as the co-tenancy is there, which is really like the key to, to all of it. One type of center can be liquor store, tattoo shop, check ashing, cash for gold. That mm -hmm. also works. So it really depends on the area. Yeah, during the pandemic, I was living at my mom's, which is okay. like rural Pennsylvania okay, outside yeah. of Philly. Yeah, strip malls, yeah. Strip malls all over. Yeah, and uh, I remember seeing, so there's a pizza shop we go to and then a cannabis dispensary opened right next door. And I was like, great pairing. You know? I would not do that actually. I mean, no, like, yeah. tell me why. Look, I mean, lots of tenants just will not be in a center with cannabis or liquor store, mm. or whatever it is. And so I think a lot of owners that buy these strip centers and say, oh, I'll just wing it and then mm -hmm. just rent to everybody, don't realize that, that that dentist that has a bunch of kids doesn't want to be next to the liquor store mm -hmm. or cannabis. Nothing into that use, of course, but it's like making sure that you really analyze the impact of every single tenant that you introduce into that environment is really important. Yeah, okay, I can see that, yeah. it's a fine line. So you're from the Bay Area. I am. You moved to New York. About three years ago now. When you think of Manhattan, you don't think of strip malls. Correct. But there's this tweet I wanted to talk to you about. You said you saw Chick-fil-A next to a swim school yeah, the other day. like last month or something. Yeah. So talk about the opportunities in New York specifically. Look, like New York is full of sharks. It's an amazing market. It's the real estate capital of the world. That's why I don't compete here. Part of what's great about these suburbs is, you know, I don't go against folks like Knackle in the brokerage industry necessarily that are, that are, it's really a cutthroat mentality here. You see it a little bit in, in LA, it's people doing this at a, a really, really high level, which I respect, but it's it just, it's just not where we swim. Mm -hmm. And so, um, love New York, love being here on the networking side in the real estate business, on the capital raising side, it, it's amazing, but not somewhere I'd want to compete in. <laughs> So retail is making a comeback. I'm thinking about Fifth Avenue yep. doing better. You know, what are you, what's your outlook for strip malls over the next like two years or so? Yeah. I mean, look, it's funny that everyone's talking about this, this retail comeback, right? Mm -hmm. But in my career, we started in 02, strip malls have only been doing better and better. Vacancy is really an you know, all time low now. And so um, when you look at the service oriented, small format strips, they've been thriving for years. In the Bay Area, you really haven't seen many small strip centers built in the last 20 years that I've been in. And I think you know, a lot of the country is finding out now that paying $400 a foot to, to build a strip mall doesn't make sense anymore. So on the supply side, there's a big advantage as well. So mm -hmm. I think that just historically speaking, I, they're thriving. The, Industry is going more small standard now where like, you know, I think 2000 feet is the average. It keeps coming down over the years. Great things happening in the niche. A lot of money coming into the niche for that reason. So it'll be interesting. I think of your account, it does have like an advice column aspect to it. So I was wondering what is the best piece of investment advice that you feel you have given and also received as a two-partner? I think there's a couple. I think one is, I think people let mo let money burn a hole in their pocket a lot, mm -hmm. where like I'll get DMs like, hey, I have 50 grand or 100 grand or a million dollars. What do I do with it? Mm -hmm. And they like feel this rush to go invest it and put it somewhere, which is a mistake. It's like, you know, wait a year, two years, three years, five years. It doesn't matter because if you put out that money and make a mistake and rush, you know, like that could set you back 10 years, really. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one. Another element of 
of it is I think that in the real estate world, um, investing should mean having an advantage, mm-hmm. right? What do you know better than everybody else or most other people in order to give you the upper hand in buying a strip mall, industrial building, whatever it is. So I think that there's a, like a narrative of, oh, just go out there and invest, buy something, it'll go up, whatever it is. But it's like, to me, how do you compete with folks that do it every single day and have that edge? So it's like, before you invest in something, ask yourself, what's my edge? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have one, that's fine. Find someone that does and invest with them. That sort of ties into having a niche too, which you were talking 100%. about earlier. Yeah. Okay. And then best piece of investment advice you've received. It's funny because my uh, longtime mentor says never sell, Okay. right? It, which is against kind of what we do historically. I mean, after we buy a strip mall and add the value, we, we, we always exit. And so I think that's obviously, you know, I, I, I was blessed to meet with Charlie Munger this past fall at his home. And he was shocked when I said that we always sell these things. So it's probably the best advice. I'm yet to follow it. So okay. getting there. But I would say um, I hear never sell a lot. 